Hey up friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr and you are listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode. Got my friend Ewan Wallace on the show this week, which was a a rare treat indeed for me. Um, Very self-indulgently. Why? Well, because Ewan is uh, one of my very oldest and closest friends who I don't see nearly enough of these days. We met on my first season snowboarding in Maribel back in 1998 and we spent the next 15 years living together, traveling together, snowboarding and playing music together. Um, it was through snowboarding that I met Ewan and for the 10 years after we met, that met, that's what his focus was and he still was and is a truly great snowboarder. Somebody with a beautiful style and a thoughtful, generous approach to snowboarding. He was always one of my favourite people to go riding with because of that generosity. I was with our mutual friends James Stanford and Scott Nixon last week in Croyd. And when I mentioned I'd be seeing you and they both got extremely misty eyed when they started talking about what an elegant, talented rider he is, which I think speaks volumes when you've got two you know, goats like that singing your praises. Um, he's also an incredible musician. Although, as you'll hear in this chat, he plays that down somewhat. It's fair to say that the first time I saw you and play guitar, my life did change. We played music together for years, first in a dodgy covers band around the Alps, then as a gradually more serious group of musicians around Brighton, who, you know, kind of learned what we were doing, um, achieved a modicum of local success. We learned to write songs together. Um, And the last time we collaborated was on a record I did with my wife, Alima, which we released about five years ago and which we ended up getting signed for, which and uh, me and Ewan basically wrote most of those songs and then brought Alima in afterwards to um, sing on them and write some lyrics. Um, So that whole thing was a real nice culmination of the years we'd spent immersed in that world. But the scratchy little Brighton music scene was always going to be too small for somebody of Ewan's immense talents. And sure enough, he was soon headhunted by Cy Green, a.k.a. Bonobo, to join his band, which is what he's still doing today. And he spent the last 15 post-snowboarding years travelling the world as a professional musician with all the life experiences and the opportunity that that entails. So as you might have gathered, I spent the most formative years of my life with Ewan. And as we see each other so infrequently these days, I do really cherish our time together. He's a brilliant conversationalist, always has been, and he's led such an interesting life that I was greatly looking forward to this one because I just knew it would be yet another brilliant conversation, which I've missed very much. There's another interesting lay to this as well, which was the chance to reflect upon our shared experiences with the benefit of the perspective of time. I've been thinking much about the past recently, particularly successes, failures, things I'm embarrassed about, things I'm proud of. I think it's a bit of an inevitable part of getting old and middle-aged. But it is happening to me. I'd be interested. I think my constituency out there is also very middle-aged. So if that rings a bell, let me know. Certainly been speaking to some friends of mine who also say that they recognise that. So yeah, as somebody who I was in the creative trenches with, for large parts of this period in my life. I've been long waiting for the chance to compare notes with you, and particularly because we haven't seen each other for quite a few years, um, to compare notes on the times we had and the things we experienced, which was rather selfishly why I was particularly looking forward to this conversation, which was just a true pleasure, a chance to sit down and have the type of connection and conversation I've really missed with, like I say, one of my oldest and most cherished friends. So that's what you're about to listen to. 
Hope you enjoy it. I'll be back at the end. Here's me and you, a nice one. Well, I used to do it all. Like yeah. I used to, I used to I basically. You were last time. Yeah, I used to basically do the episodes and then do the edit, do the show notes, and recognise that swimming schedule. I do actually, yeah. Um, And and then I got to the glorious point when Fina, hello Fina, um, came on board. So now I just do the episodes, which is great. Brilliant. We're recording, by the way. Ah, okay. Yeah, how are you? Uh, I'm well. It's Let's good see. to see you, man. <laughs> it's great to Fuck, see you. It's been too. so long, isn't it? Um, I think we worked out that it was October 2019, just pre-pandemic, when I came down to do this podcast, and we accidentally perhaps had one or two beers because Chris Moran was around and we hadn't seen him for yeah a while. Yeah, I, I, I'd actually completely forgotten about that, and then when you mentioned that, I suddenly had a memory of us sat around our kitchen table I quite believe late. Yeah, you went cooked. to Stanley, didn't we? Yeah, but yeah. first you cooked some quite elaborate meal out of the uh, Yotam Otolenghi Simple Cookbook, if I yeah. remember rightly, uh, involving samphire, which was absolutely delicious. Yeah, is that really? Yeah, got re- well, yeah. I mean, I've got really into cooking as I've got older, which is funny, isn't it? Because when we used to live together, mm. you were always. You know, you you were super into cooking, and I was very functional <laughs> with yeah. food. We had people around all the time, didn't we? I yeah. remember, like, I, I would start cooking dinner, and uh, you'd be like, "Is it room for you know, like whoever?" Another couple of people I was would show shocking up and, for that. And we had you know these elaborate meals for like ten or twelve people. I was so I, bad for that. I I'm loved still, it. I'm still bad for that. I still <laughs> do that. I remember Sean Lee once telling me off, saying like, "You can't do that. You can't just invite people round to other people's houses." <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I probably better stop doing that. But yeah, I got into, I find cooking, this is so middle-aged. Um, Bring it. Very grounding these days. My idea of a good weekend is um, probably very recognisable to you, pot around the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Prepare a very elaborate meal, mm-hmm. preferably for friends. Yeah, take it easy. It, would that involve uh, drinking of wine these days or... Well, you were saying you have a like a six months on six months off schedule roughly yeah yeah i've talked about this a fair amount on here um it's one of those like podcast bingo cliches these days but um yeah six months good cop bad cop yeah. feast and famine so six months of uh like you know usually the winter to be fair like you know boozing and doing a yeah. doing a nominal bit of exercise and and health binging, but nothing too too dramatic, and then I'll get to the point where I'm at now, where I've had six months of of that, and I'm feeling pretty dad bod ish, and just a bit yeah. shit, just a bit sluggish, and a bit. I was yes. explaining earlier, I've got loads of middle aged injuries, I've got like bad elbows and bad rotator cuffs and stuff. So I've signed up for a six k swim in July, July, July. Um, and uh, I'm <laughs> you training. Can take the boy out of Manchester. <laughs> I'm training for that now. And doing loads of very tedious like rehab stuff in the gym to try and sort my shoulder out, which is kind of working, which yeah, is nice. That's great. Because I've had these like, um, yeah, like sore rotator cuffs, which is just so boring, isn't it? For for quite a few years now, 
you know like one of those yeah. niggly things that you just ignore mm-hmm. and then as soon as i like warm up like when i swim or surf it kind of goes and i forget about it but it's, it's one of them i'll go i'll go for a surf first 10 minutes i'll be like fuck i've got to sort my shoulders out and then i'll sort of warm up and i'll forget about it and then i'll get out and then the lake a little bit more yeah and right then it just gets progressively worse oh that sounds very very familiar as a habitual long distance runner yeah you um, got a few of them you got a few ailments that you ignore yeah i've got something weird going on with one of my ankles that has been for years and it's basically built up to the point now where well it was about six months ago it it kind of froze up and i got all these strange like electric shock like feelings in the back of my calf right which kind of freaked me out and um i practice yoga daily and you know i would do a downward dog and it was really kind of it was like someone's putting electrodes on the back of my leg so right well with my elbow the giveaway is and this is what a pair of fucking dickheads is a uh, you know um upward facing dog what's that called um i just call it that because you know what i mean though, you know when you go down hard. on your elbows oh yeah like chaturanga yes uh, exactly yeah. and if i can that's the giveaway like for uh, my elbow like because obviously you take all your weight on on your on your elbow really you hinge on your elbow don't you yeah so that but i saw um i saw johnny Barr the other week uh really in uh pegs on the sofa with us doing this with the hey, lads pegs. if you can hear that um yeah i saw our, our, our very old friend johnny Barr in Aviemore two weeks ago and we had a similar conversation not for the podcast just over about eight pints and um he's got like a really he, like his knee is really fucked oh, God. so he can't actually do anything really he oh really no he can't skate he can't surf oh. he's can't ride his bikes all and, the things he loves to do best yeah and That's it really i mean i really often bad. i often think these days like if i'm feeling a bit lazy to go for a run or go for a swim or i do often or even like play football or or the surf looks a bit shit i am a bit like fucking 30 years yeah i'm not gonna have a choice here might as well might as well do it now yeah you think <laughs> while i still have the privilege of being able to move my body around freely i think capitalize exactly i think though you were somebody you know we obviously very very close friends very old friends like you know spent a lot of time together over the years lived together um traveled together and basically up until like the last sort of 10 years spent a little you know like that was kind of what we did wasn't it and you were always now I look back you always seemed to be much even then to be quite attuned to much more attuned than I was to the relationship between physical health and mental health. I think I think one of the things I when I right. look back on those years is a lot of it I look back on in terms of mental health, weirdly. Now mm, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, like the amount we used to booze. Yeah. The sort of and the way that it affected you know mental health like you know you know what i'm saying like yeah. you always when i look back i was like wow you and always had that actually quite dialed and i never really got that at the time i think i always felt a bit more bulletproof in some way i don't right. know i always felt like i could just shrug it off but now i look back well, and i'm like i couldn't really i don't know what i was thinking there really it's funny isn't it yeah i i i guess i didn't have a lot of choice but to become viscerally attuned to that because it was I don't know. My inner, my inner life is very, very affected. Always has been by what's going on in my my body, and I I just couldn't ignore it. Like you know, we would, 
if I had a hangover, say, I would have to go out running the next You'd morning. You'd go and do a 10k run. Yeah. Well, you used to run over yeah. from the pub, didn't you? Yeah, sometimes I would. <laughs> I would just try and get ahead of the game. You'd be like, I'm going to run home. And I'd yeah. always be like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I can't remember when I started realizing that, but or like really figuring that out that that was a thing. Maybe mid-twenties. Right. But it, it, what really brought it home to me was when I stopped snowboarding all the time, which was, I can't remember, 28 or 29. I think I'd hurt my shoulder and I went to work at Snowboard UK with Tom Cupsey. Yeah. And I wasn't doing any physical activity and I just felt awful, like really mentally kind of fragile and, you know, all over the place. So I think it was around that time that I really got into running where I was like, ah, I just I just have to do this right. as part of my daily routine as, you know, it's, I don't know if I thought of it as therapy, but... Yeah, did you consciously make that connection then, or was it more like a sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, this makes me feel better, so I'm going to do it? Well, I think it was more in that camp. I was like, ah, yeah, as long as I do this, I'll feel okay. But it's all—it's such a long time ago, my memories of it are quite vague, but it was partly your swimming discipline, because you would swim every morning, right? And I, I think I ended up just kind of tagging along and I was like oh, I'll go swimming with Matt at yeah. like 7am or whenever it was in the Prince Regent yeah I did used to do that and yeah. um, which was also you know we used to joke didn't we the flagellator yeah you know, lash ourselves with physical well, exercise we, we brought those actual flagellators back from Iran didn't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it became a thing didn't it you know that we would <laughs> Well, it's even got a name, hasn't it? Isn't it called orthorexia? Is that what it's called? Orthorexia? That's the unhealthy obsession with healthy eating, I think. Right. Um, there's another There's another name. I don't remember what it is either. Perhaps but I can go in the notes afterwards. It's like an exercise binge thing, isn't it? You know, in, yeah. I, I mean, because it, kind of, I guess it's kind of related to, you know, like body dysmorphia and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? In terms of like how you, the relationship that you have with your body and the and the kind of, actions you take to try and correct that yeah which is sort of what we're talking about isn't yeah it? they're all it's all connected isn't it um but i remember oh hey peg hello peggy so we alima just built this um pergola <laughs> i think it's called do you want to go and open that door Actually, hold on i'll get um, this down and basically go in get in go 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 basically go on, in 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 seagulls land on this and he doesn't like that <laughs> so now he's basically at war with every bird in um in brighton of of which there are many which is probably a losing battle and uh, yeah. what's going on there yeah good on him yeah he knows what he likes or doesn't like yeah and, uh, exactly yeah so, so so yeah i mean i think i guess when i was thinking about what we would talk about because we obviously haven't seen each other for quite a few years I thought a lot about the past and I thought a lot about you know the things that we used to do and that struck me as a, in in hindsight that was actually quite a big theme when you look back really didn't see this this sort of because we both yeah. we both had that going on we both you know mm -hmm. the swimming that you that you mentioned that was definitely me try to mitigate something physically and mentally yeah we just didn't know what exactly it was at the time yeah and one of the things i sort of look back on with regret is that i didn't just appreciate that a bit more for it on its own terms at the time weirdly right 
if that makes sense like because it was it was always a bit i think we talked about six months feast and famine now but back mm-hmm. then it was like you know it was it was, it was ongoing was not it on and off, day on day off wasn't it you yeah know? um too much booze there were there was definitely too much booze but you know i remember actually marcus chapman was another person who really actually marcus really got me into running um because he had that thing where he was always i mean he's just a naturally very fit guy but yeah he's one of them fuckers isn't he yeah he's a sport an absolute sport billy but i remember going to stay with him in swanage where he was living at the time later when we were working on snowboard uk mag together and he would get us up in the morning and go out running and i didn't i hadn't really run that much at that point and there was a three mile hill it was like a fairly gradual incline but it was you know you would go straight into the run and it was maybe it was three kilometers it was very long distance uphill and marcus would be just kind of running rings around me and talking at me and then he would you know sprint off ahead and like knock out 50 push-ups and i was just kind of scrabbling up this hill hanging on for dear life and um that went on for quite a while and i just kind of yeah i would say marcus kind of like whipped me into shape for running and then that just became a, a thing that i did and i realized that if i didn't do it i didn't feel good so yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is an easy choice for me. This feels good. This doesn't. I'll go with. Yeah. I'll go with that one. I didn't read. Really, I didn't really think too deeply about it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Stenty was also somebody else, obviously that oh, seemed yeah. to have that balance in in hindsight a bit more. He always just he seemed to know that naturally. Yeah, he seemed to get. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast I did with James. Like he seemed to eat like really early, like teens kind of got that didn't he you yeah know, like what what was going to work for him and what was not going to work for him whereas i think in my case it's taken me it definitely took me to like my mid-30s before i realized like actually those patterns of behavior maybe don't serve me that well and yeah but i think a lot of it's cultural as well because i think absolutely i think you know if you look at booze and the way that we used to drink that's definitely like a, a generational cultural british thing i i i've come to believe i agree because well actually i've noticed that because i don't spend a lot of time in the uk these days but so you come back and you're like wow it's a national sport yeah literally (laughs) we go and i love it as well we're like ah we we can go to a pub and sit in a pub like yesterday wait is this monday uh tuesday oh this is tuesday okay so sunday we went uh, most of the touring party of the band showed up in the pub and um had a roast dinner and we sat in there for a few hours and drank a few pints and i was like wow this is the this is the stuff i used to love about brighton like the sunday soak yeah and uk culture in general but i also noticed that most socializing involves going to the pub and then there's the you know you have that that ongoing conversation in your head well will i have a shall i have a pint or maybe i'll just have one and sorry to get sidetracked here but this is a a thing that drives me mad about my own internal life is that constant conversation I have to have with with that uh, by which I mean let's say I'm in a period where I'm willing to drink alcohol yeah it's shall I have one shall I have two or maybe I should have three well I've had two now I might as well have another I might as well just enjoy myself whereas if I'm in a period where I'm absolutely 100% not drinking it's easy I don't have to have that conversation yeah. it's just a it's an easy no I'm it's the same. middle ground that's really difficult for me so I, that's why i tend to polarize like you do i expect well that's why i go through these massive 
bouts of sobriety. I mean, last year, yeah. I think I was eight months where I didn't drink. Um, but even then, by the end of that, I was kind of getting into that conversation as well. Like I went to a wedding and, um, you know, everyone was just annihilated. Like, and I, I actually yeah. ended up taking a load of booze-free beers that they were kind enough to let me uh. sort of stash so i could do that you know right which doesn't always happen i've been to weddings where they've been like fuck off mate you're not doing that um and i guess it's a 0.5 i guess it is a bit of a weird request but anyway like i um and that was like that was a battle that night you know that was yeah like because it because i can imagine i i got to i didn't drink but i got to the point where i was like having that conversation i mean i really recognize what you're talking about that kind of internal dialogue i read a really interesting thing because the point I get to with not drinking is that I get to like the sort of six months point and I'm like, I could probably just give up here, you know, like, and, yeah. but then I do really like having a pint, you know, I do like that ritualistic kind of thing yeah. you just talked about, like, you know, we're going to go for a pint tonight. I'm very much looking forward to that because it, cause it is, it's a comfort thing, isn't it? You yeah. know, like, like, this, like, you know, like we're talking about like this ritualistic sort of cultural thing. But yeah. for some reason, this, especially our generation, I think you you don't have an off switch with that. Like, and yeah, I read a really interesting thing with somebody who'd given up booze, and they were like, "I'm gonna keep drinking now, but what I'm the gauge I'm trying to use is that if I if I'm talking myself into it as a reward, I'm not gonna do it. So like, when, right. So when you're in the pub and you're like. You go in the pub, you have that first pint and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And then you have the second one and it's kind of fine. But then the third one that like you talk about, you're like, oh, three, I'm going to be hungover. Yeah. And then you're like, but, you know, I might as well. I'm in the pub. I've earned it. Just this once. That justification thing. This guy was like, if I recognize that's happening, I'm not going to do it. Whereas if, right. whereas if I, whereas if I go into the pub and I'm just like fancy a pint, then that's kind of fine because there's no baggage attached to that that takes a lot of uh self-discipline but even I imagine. that is like like you say the inner dialogue isn't yeah, it yeah there's a dialogue that going on it's just so much easier to either do it or not do it um, yeah but i find that the same with exercise really um if i'm in the habit of which i generally am of being disciplined about physical exercise um, it's much easier to just do it rather than think, hmm, do I do I need to today? Do I deserve a day off? Or I well, just... I did that this morning. Right. I was going to go for a swim before we met because I was to you like, right, we'll meet at half eight because I've got stuff to do. Um, and obviously you've got to be done by half 12, was it? But I woke, alarm went off at six and I was like, fuck that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's kind of early. Dra- I think dragging yourself out of bed, or at least if you're having to drag yourself out of bed to go and do exercise, like... For me, that's something that's not that sustainable. And what I'm aiming for is something that I can sustain. I want it to be, like I, I mentioned this before, but I, I like, you know, being disciplined, let's say 80% of the time. Yeah. Like, and I have that 80-20 split uh, because that I can maintain over a long a long period and it just involves less kind of mental up and down. Like I, I don't like the feeling of like falling off the wagon and being like, ah, okay, I'm just... I haven't gone running for ages and now I don't really feel that great, but I can't be bothered to do it. Yeah. Well, that's and when you start spiraling into, in my case, six months of like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to get fat and drink beer and not worry about it kind of thing. Yeah. I'm very much the same in that way. So how does this 
work with being in a touring rock and roll band like work with all the attendant um <laughs> lifestyle choices that are put in front of your face every day temptations well it, it's actually i mean it's really changed over the years and that now like when i started doing when i started playing with bonobo i was 29 or something 28 maybe yeah and um you know simon is the same age as me and um so most of the band we were in our late 20s and there was unlimited booze and yeah so obviously a lot of drinking got done uh, and a lot of running got done now everyone's a little bit older and you know as we talked about the there's that dialogue and uh, half the band have kids so yeah people are just less willing to feel hungover so i would say on the whole well the rider for instance has loads of non-alcoholic drinks on it nice so you can have a beer but not necessarily be drunk so that's good yeah um a couple of members of the band uh, the keyboard player johnny in particular loves to any opportunity to do some vicious physical exercise right um he's in for so there's there's at least two of us that are very i would say fitness focused right and that helps to have an ally yeah but then we are in some respects quite a bad combination because we will egg each other on to you know, we'll think, oh, we, let's do a 10K tomorrow. And then we'll think, oh, could, maybe tomorrow we could do a half marathon. And right. we were in New York recently and we thought, oh, maybe we should aim to be able to do a marathon by the end of this tour. So we thought, oh, maybe October we'll do it. We ended up doing it the next day right? Um, with, you know, zero training. Um, and then, you know, I spent the next week hobbling basically around. hobbling around thinking mm, that wasn't the best idea. So it's all it ca- that's the a, a tricky balance for me is not taking the extremes of exercise or sorry not taking the physical exercise to extremes because we have a lot of time on our hands as as the band in part of a touring party yeah because the shows are of a size now where you know you, there's a professional crew who sets everything up like in the old days the band would do it ourselves but now we yeah we can't because you we, can swan we don't know how to do it so yeah there is a yeah you're just like a little part of this big machine that puts a show on yeah which includes you know a lot of people in the building yeah yeah and um our job is to show up at a particular time and you know play the instruments so the rest of the time we can um yeah i guess one about was is probably not an unfair way of describing <laughs> it did. yeah we i think you you've all earned the right and yeah um, it's not like you've not done a lot of years in the trenches uh, right the musical trenches over the years yeah um it's interesting to but for the like the crew guys that we travel around with for instance they uh, their job just involves more you know, more time like they're setting up equipment and they they do a lot of physical activity throughout the day they're on their feet all day so i guess for them they they're probably in better shape than any of us because you know they they basically don't get a minute to sit down. Yeah. And I feel that maybe being on your feet, walking around all day is better for you than sitting around looking at your laptop and then doing a 20 mile run or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that behavior you talk about with um, deciding to do a marathon, though, I mean, that that's in its way as obsessional as, as exactly. I mean, it's a very obvious point I'm about to make and you're and, you, and clearly you know what it is. But does because it's a classic thing, isn't it? 
you know the the alcoholic who starts running ultra marathons or not that you're an alcoholic but you know what i mean like the the, the relationship between trading one set of obsessional behaviors for another albeit yes. ostensibly healthier but still but is it when it comes down to it yeah. is that i'm assuming that you're aware of that and also that's something Very much that, so, that yeah. you kind of probably battle with a little bit yeah i would say so um I mean, I do feel on the whole that it is probably better to be obsessed with running, with going running than than, booze. than boozing. But yeah, it's the same. I haven't thought too deeply about this um, yet, but it is basically a manifestation of the same thing, isn't it? And I don't know, I don't know why I'm doing it. Yeah, Have I mean, you, like any insights into that? You've known me a long time. Well, I, not really, because like I say, I just think it's well what's the old there's a quote i really like blaze pascal this is this is why people tune into this um man man all man's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly alone in an empty room right you know the old okay. sean lee to me you'd be busy in a cave right kind of thing you know it must it must if you're getting down to it that's probably what i think's going on really so it's all about distraction and filling your time and your mind with things to think about yeah but this is why like when i wrote that blog recently and this is one of the things i wanted to ask you about um and obviously we'll get on to you know your adventures with with sai and bonobo and we can talk about snowboarding and and all that but one of the things i was really looking forward to about this conversation i just knew that we'd turn press play and we'd end up going on in tangents really um you know i wrote that blog and i basically talked about when we lived together and how I think, the, as you said earlier, the way that I put it was, you know, you focused, I spun plates. And, what, and right. I, w- I wondered if you kind of recognise that picture because I sort of, your your like devotion to, to playing the guitar and also the way you approach snowboarding, you know, when we were younger, you know, you were so methodical and so disciplined and so single-minded. And as as i wrote in that blog and as i realized as i got older like that's not really an option for me like i can't really do that like what i do is i try loads of different things and i do a podcast and i you know like yeah i, I, I like run a business and i do this that and the other and i was always quite um envious really of that of, wow, of that's uh, interesting of, of that in you because what i could see is that was serving you to become like fucking really good at snowboarding incredibly good at musician and i used to sort of look at that and again it wasn't really a conscious thing it was more like a subconscious thing it was that i've only just rec- as i've only recognized i've got older and i always used to be a bit like why why can't i do that like what's what's stopping me from doing that and <laughs> and, and i guess i'm wondering if in your case that's also a bit of a pattern you know like because because to sit down yeah, as you as you guess. you know to 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 dedicate yourself in the way you've done to playing the guitar for example which has taken a colossal amount of work obviously and discipline and and application i don't think i don't think i i couldn't have done that like i just don't think that's in my makeup you know right as much as i at one point had the self-image probably would have liked to think that i could do that like i so i just wonder if that's Mm -hmm. you know related a trait it's obviously something that's been there a while yeah so my thoughts on that are that well i i remember actually from my point of view thinking wow matt does a lot of stuff (laughs) i'm like i I have no idea how he does so much stuff 
li- all I've done is sit, or, you know, I've sit done one thing. Sit and play guitar. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so from my, my point of view, I, I don't really have the capability of doing a lot of different things at once. I never have done. Um, like I, my concentration is, I, I'm able to focus on one thing and I don't like it when my attention gets dragged away onto something else. Like I'm not very good with distraction. Then I'm, it, it takes me a long time to focus back on what I was doing. Um, so, you know, having like multiple deadlines, for example, um, is something that's incredibly difficult for me to deal with. So I've always kind of gone for, you know, engaged in something that takes a lot of concentration, a lot of application. But, you know, I'm I'm just doing this one thing, like yeah. I'm playing the guitar or I'm reading this book or I'm going running and I I don't like to juggle things really. Well, I used to always try and pull you into my way of doing things you know whether it was like right. when we were in a band together you know that was all driven by me yeah like acm you know we got you involved early on then realized that i was well no but pretty much hopeless no that's not true though is it like i think i think with all those things you know i think your 20s especially when you're as close friends as we are and you know the, the time we spent together you know i've got this relationship with all my close friends like chris like owen you know you get to the point where you you kind of have to recognize that you're different and you have to really accept that and you have to and that's when i think sort of proper friendship comes along because and i definitely recognize that with me and you because i think back Mm -hmm. then i definitely was i look back on that and just think i must have been a colossal pain in the ass like you know because (laughs) i was constantly trying to get people to do shit that, that, that like matched my what I wanted to do. But a lot of that was really fun stuff. You know, it was like, oh, let's go and, you know, we'll have a weekend here and we'll invite these people and we'll go surfing and then we'll go there and or we'll go on a snowboarding trip here. And, you know, it was really valuable stuff. Yeah, but but equally there were points where I could tell you, and we never talked about this, so it never really manifested itself in like an actual, it manifested itself in tension at points, but like, right when, when, so yeah, you know, it's just interesting looking looking back really because I, I kind of, it's it's funny to hear that you sort of looked at the way that I was and saw positives. Yeah. Whereas I saw negatives. And I looked at the way that you were and saw positives, whereas you sort of saw negatives. And Classic, isn't it? I think, but when, when you sort of left ACM and when you sort of took the opportunity that you had with Simon and went down that path, you know, I always sort of saw that as like, also like, a, now that I look back, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like a, a grounding thing because it was a bit like well i can do that and that's it's all been leading to this point and if i simplify things and and just do that and you know you left acm you sort of stopped snowboarding you know you kind of was that how it was did you look at that consciously um i would say for me it was more a recognition of what i couldn't do like i remember when we were working together i actually remember the moment when i realized that i wasn't cut out for it and it was I think we were doing the the guidebook. Yeah, snowboarding the world. Wow, that was that was stressful. But I remember like being in charge of like organizing a press trip, and it was to Utah, and we you know we got the trip booked, and Ben Mundy was going to go and do oh, the I trip, remember and that, then I had actually. forgotten to tell him any of the details. So I, the first I heard of it was that I got a phone call from the contact in Utah, who was like, "Where's your guy?" And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> so I phoned Ben up, and he was like, "Mate, like." I'm still waiting to hear from you about this. Right. And I'd like, you know, basically cocked up disastrously. I totally forgot about that. And then I was like, oh my God. And at the time I was working for the 
Snowboard UK magazine and there was a deadline going on and, and I was just like, oh my God, I can't handle any yeah. of this. I'm basically, basically I'm trying to spin plates and I'm dropping all the plates. Yeah. I was like, I, I want to go back to, you know, I, or I just need a change. I had no idea what I was going to do. So that's why I think at that point I left ACM and I remember having various conversations with people at the time um, who were like, what, well, you know, what are you going to do now? And I had no idea. So we went to jazz college, didn't you? That was actually later. So I remember what I did is while we were doing the, the book, I thought, right, I'm going to learn a fingerstyle acoustic guitar. So I bought myself this nice Martin acoustic guitar. Beautiful guitar. Which has still got been, it. I do. Yeah, it's been smashed twice by various airlines and repaired once. So I, it needs to be repaired again. Yeah. You could do the math on that one <laughs> but I haven't got around to it but yeah I still have it it's great but I that's what I ended up doing I remember like just really focusing on like I was listening to John Renberg and, and players like that Bert I don't know how to pronounce his can name you, Jan. Can, you, can you do as a song at the end of this actually by the way um, I could yeah probably yeah, like you yeah. know just some, little... some nice piece I'll... I've been meaning to ask uh, okay. I've not had a bit of music on it for ages and it seems yeah okay I'll, I th think I can knock something up as soon as you're talking about John Ramborn and uh, can you you can use the dog the, the dog's dog. around okay my the, guitar the old dog yeah right that's interesting so that was so, so that was like this is so this is such a great conversation because it's so funny isn't it looking back at this nice distance of time and being able yeah. to look back on it and be like so you'll remember this differently I, I'm sure but remember we, we had the deadline where we were I think we were in Bath and we were doing the whatever that part of the publishing process is yeah called. like the proofing bit yeah. yeah and i was getting up at six and running down the canal i think i was running 10 15 miles a morning because i was so stressed out and then i would come back and i had that guitar that i just bought and i would play that for a bit and then we would go into the the footprint offices and work all day on the book and then repeat and then i think after that week i was pretty much at the point where yeah i was like i can't do this you anymore packed it in, yeah. i packed it in and went yeah. and sat in the in queen's park with that guitar and just sat there playing guitar yeah we were good um at the time me and chris but when i think i mean fucking hell when i think back like the where acm is now and then it's it's, it's quite not hilarious but it's just a, it's just a very different thing but and also yeah. like i think you know we were just scrabbling around to try and work out how to make that function in business weren't we because i remember that yes i remember that um that bath trip in particular i went straight there from the states i'd been at mount hood doing i was doing motorola with phil phil young oh yes and i was the putative team manager so we went and did that trip to Mount Hood. I was with Marco, Marco um, with Grillo, and uh, um, John Boyer. Randomly enough, I don't know if you know John, but he's been on there, and Phil, and then and Yussi. We were with Yussi Oxenden, right? And flew back, land on the overnighter, landed at Paddington at like five a.m. Got the train straight to Bath and went into a twelve-hour like oh proofreading session, <laughs> and then went and stayed in a youth hostel in bath and you know That's looking right, yeah. looking back you know the thought of doing that now just makes me actually shiver with yeah horror the know. shudders yeah like this but that's that was i think the whole thing was us all working out what we were going to do really wasn't it yeah at that point in our lives because obviously you'd had your snowboarding as a, as a sort of professional rider i'd been involved in snowboarding through the media we'd 
basically got fired from white lines you you were at that point like you say where it was like probably time to make a decision and we were just sort of trying yeah. to work out what the fuck we were going to do really weren't we you know yeah yeah um and we were very different people with very I- different ideas about how things should go but i remember just you know going along basically thinking you know matt and chris know what they're doing i'm just gonna like yeah basically we, we hang didn't. on to their coattails <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that you didn't well it would look from today's perspective that you both really very much did know what you were doing no um no we didn't but you okay so you figured it out afterwards quite convincingly well i just think back to those years and after you left then monday came on board uh, and yes. i mean it was like four years of me ben and chris in that shithole office in brighton <laughs> and all i really all I really think, when I look back on that, I just remember us all sat around talking about what the fuck we were going to do, and I don't remember us doing mm. much work. Like we did, we did, yeah. we did do some stuff. You know, we. I remember we got a couple of big jobs, and and we did a lot of journal. We did a lot of sort of journalism and stuff, but yeah, it wasn't really like a master plan. Well, I guess we had the idea at that point that maybe it was good to not work in the world of. Um, action sports forever and we were like oh if we could just become mainstream journalists yeah maybe that would be better yeah which and is again another thing i wrote in that piece wasn't it you yeah know, like the old life is what happens when you're making other plans and uh, all that yes so yeah bonobo you've been so that that came around that time didn't it my memory it of did. it is that you say so i asked you to do it about 2007 maybe i think it was august 2006 um, right this is starting to have the feel of an apocryphal story. Uh, One of them where you can't remember if it's true or not. Yeah, but I think how that came about is I was sitting, maybe it was the day after my older brother Grant's stag do. And um, I was sitting in the park, feeling a little bit hungover, you know, just playing guitar. And our mutual friend Russ Porter walked past and said, ah, I didn't know you could play that style of guitar like finger style folky acoustic guitar and i was like oh yeah this course yeah yeah i've been doing this for years i'd literally just learned it and um he was like ah oh, my friend simon's looking for a guitar player i'll i'll um put you in touch here's his number um his band's called bonobo and i was like oh yeah well i know i know Bonobo. i had his albums and um i, c- I can't remember how exactly it happened but i think perhaps we were on a tour of uh the west country well he definitely came to see us play simon yeah he had to come we sort of knew each other a little yeah, bit yeah i knew around. i knew simon through, through ross and from brighton right and he'd definitely come to see us play at a pub gig that we did uh, that's right yeah and i think i think because and that was obviously and i remember because russ told him to come and check you out um because that was when he was starting to sort of put his band together and yeah, he he had had a live band for a couple of years at that stage, I think, but maybe he was playing the guitar in it. And yeah, perhaps Matt Avery was playing the bass. Right, Jack wow. Baker was on the drums as as ever. Yeah, um, until the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I remember we so we went and did a tour of the West Country in the Super U days. And yeah, did we? Was Ben Howard along? Yeah, Ben he was Ben, us, ben was around. He didn't actually play. Oh, did he but not? He. It's funny because we were. Ta- I was talking about this with Tozy the other night. So we played, we played in um, Newquay, which was actually a really good gig. I remember it was packed. And then we played in Exeter, and it was fucking awful. 
There was no one there. Right. We played in like a, a restaurant. Oh my goodness. It was grim. Like, you know, not that we played badly or anything, but there was just no one there, you know. And it was just one of them where you're like, fucking hell. And then Links we played an empty room, yeah. And then we played Totnes Barrel House next night, and that was really oh, good. That was fun, wasn't it? That was yeah. a good one, yeah. And Ben was around, yeah. And and Ben was introduced as their little grand mate. Yeah. So he came on that little tour. Like he turned up in Nuki, and he sort of he was just around, and he was right. really young. He was like 17 at the time. Yeah. And he was, yeah, he was, you know, and he was, he was definitely like, oh, I, you know, I, I play a bit of guitar or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh. yeah. But in, I've, but I've thought about this as well recently because, you know, obviously we grew up playing together. You, we've both been in loads of bands. You, you know, you've just, yeah, you, you're in loads of bands now. You're in, but the two people that we know who actually really did well are Ben and Simon, aren't they? You know. Um, ben Howard right. and Simon Green, as in actually yes. like properly made it, and uh, like, and they definitely, I share some traits. I would suggest just in terms of like focus, single mindedness. Again, like yeah, you know, like ability to sort of translate plans into outcomes, and yeah, yeah, you know. Whereas when you look back at the little scene we were involved in. Again, there's just a lot of people just sort of tooling around at the end of the day, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, I think it's like anything, isn't it? You know, success in anything just does require that slight ruthlessness, that laser focus, that, you know, that that kind of single-mindedness, really. Yeah, whether that comes from, you know, intention to be that way or not having any other choice because you just are that way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. outcome is the same but i remember si came to see us at a gig in, in brighton and this was around the time that you ended up doing that and you know i think we were all a bit like in our band a bit like fuck that's annoying <laughs> but right. all, but also but how amazing but you know good good for you yeah like, well i yeah. mean you know because you were ob- so obviously so talented and uh, you, just such an incredible musician you know you deserved that that platform and that very kind of you to say so yeah um so what you're now is this your well, fourth tour fifth i lose count it might be the fifth actually because he does it was 2006 and he does an out he, he does it seems like he does two years recording and then two years touring roughly right more or less yeah um give or take a six months or a year yeah, yeah. it does seem to have been like that he, he doesn't he doesn't sit idle for very long yeah um yeah like I think Sai's one of those people that is just constantly working on his project. Like he does a lot of, you know, we'll be sitting in airports and uh, I'll look over and he's, you know, he's on his laptop making tunes while I mean, I'm sitting around reading books or, yeah. you know, just not really doing anything. And um, so, yeah, you know, he gets a lot done. Um, I can't remember where I was going. Well, I mean, what, I, me what we were talking well about. I was just sort of saying, you know, you've done, you've done the, the, it's been nearly 20 years hasn't it you've been well t- 15 years you've been doing this let's say yeah it's crazy isn't it and um, you've you know you've i mean you've got fucking five nights at the royal albert hall coming up you've played ali pally you've played red rocks in colorado in you know you've you've you've, <laughs> you've pretty much headline glass you know like you've done these amazing things like right and it's been pretty cool yeah and I remember though, and this is a quote I use all the time. I remember you. I remember asking you this question once, and being like, "You know, what, what's it like?" Because you know, we grew up playing music. We had ambitions to do stuff, and 
you've kind of achieved all that and i remember and i and this also might be apocryphal but i swear you said this to me i swear you were like well it's like anything after a while it gets it gets routine and it gets is it i mean would you have said that yeah that's something i might sounds like the sort of thing i might have said well in some respects of course yeah it's like it's none of it's unfamiliar to any of us anymore you know um because we've done i don't know how many gigs but thousands of gigs over the over the years so you know it's a very familiar situation but it's still um I mean, it's not boring. That's for sure. Because yeah. there's you're sta- you know you're standing in front of a, quite a large room, often full of people who are looking at you, and that has, you know, that's demanding in a particular way. Like it's for me as well. I'm you know, kind of prone to being fairly anxious, and if there are lights on me, um, which sometimes there are, um, I'll get a little bit nervous, and then I'll overthink things, and my hands feel slightly tense and you know that doesn't necessarily go away so but you know like playing playing one big gig is very much like playing another big gig yeah it's like from our perspective we're all standing in the same place on stage we're playing the more or less the same set we do change it around but yeah um you know it's not like we're not one of those bands where there's like i heard if you play in kylie minogue's band you have to know all her songs and she'll just call them right and you're expected to locomotion go go yeah <laughs> like i don't know if that's true but i expect there are artists where it's like that but with simon stuff it's much more considered like because well, it's complicated isn't it yeah and i guess coming from a djing background he like he's very much focused on the flow of a set so. yeah yeah i mean i was blown away last time i saw just at the show that it's become because uh, i've seen the lights it. in the video yeah just the whole spectacle of it is is pretty right. significant these days isn't it there are a lot of like other talented people around yeah you know work, doing the sound and doing the lights and like working on the video and yeah it's i guess it's i mean i actually, actually get the chance to watch it because some of the songs there's a gap in of say 15 minutes in the middle where i'm not actually playing anything so you can so go and have a little if it's easy to get out front i can go and yeah like, have a wander around and yeah and watch what it actually looks like and it's pretty impressive so does any does any performances experiences stand out? I mean, I've got to ask you that one really, just right. in, just in terms. It's a, yeah. a fairly on the nose question, but you know, obviously, it's an incredible thing you've experienced over the last fifteen years. So, um, um, yeah, any anything when you think back, stand any go to anecdotes on, I the, mean, on the touring, the touring life, the gig life. Uh, let me think a little about that. Um, well, like Glastonbury was always something I wanted to, you know, I wanted to go and play in Glastonbury, and we, we've done that a couple of times, and Coachella. Um, although I remember the Glastonbury show being like a really fun one. That's quite, that's definitely quite special. Uh, standing on whatever stage, I think it's West Holt stage that we tend to play on, and yeah, it was sunset, and that, the amount of people you can see, because you know, like you play inside a like an auditorium or whatever, and it's a big box and it's like you can see a box full of people yeah but when you play at glastonbury you're looking out at this expanse of you know rolling hillside with people as yeah with the sun going see. down and it must be yeah you and must you think like jesus there's a lot of people there yeah that have come to see us or have just happened by or whatever but it's, that was quite memorable uh, another one for us is we did sydney opera house once twice in one night right which was quite crazy because it's quite a big venue and the time between sets was about half an hour 
Um, so it like so new they, crowd. Yeah, they emptied the entire matinee place and, and evening sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was impressed from a logistical standpoint. I was like, how did they empty this room and refill <laughs> it in half an hour? Yeah. Um, but I remember being quite ill at that show. I had some strange, mysterious illness and a friend's dad had come down and he was, I was sitting on the steps at the opera house and he was giving me a blood test or taking blood to, you know, go and test it. He's right. a doctor. And um, he had forgotten his glasses and there were people like filing out of the show watching. I, I don't know if anyone recognized that I was one of the guys on the stage, but I was sitting there with this this guy like trying to take a blood sample. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Trans, Getting transfused. Basically, yeah. And then I, you know, wandered back in and we did another show. And I remember that being quite a strange experience. Um, yeah, I mean, but, but you it did... was great. I love that venue. And... and the travel as well, the places oh that you, because you play like India, haven't you? And, you know, you've, yeah the travels can be quite crazy because you know sometimes well we went to new zealand once i think for 26 hours yeah hectic where we played a gig and then i flew maybe to japan afterwards to do a couple of shows there and the travel can definitely be exhausting like i I understand or i came to understand that why you know people musicians often wear sunglasses in interviews and you think look at you you twat with your sunglasses on it's not that they're trying to be cool it's they're trying to preserve you from the sight of what their eyes look like because they probably haven't slept for yeah you know properly for weeks and i get that i mean you can probably see that i imagine i have some fairly extensive bags under my eyes right now i think you're looking pretty good to be honest considering 45 still still kicking yeah, I mean, well, it's I, when when I rocked up earlier, I was like, yeah, Ewan looks exactly the same as he always looked. Um, is, well, I've been fortunate enough to look bald and middle-aged for approximately 20 years what now, did you, so what did not you, much changes. What did you say? Simon Green and his band of... Um, <laughs> what was the line? <laughs> uh, there was some... I can't remember what... It was a KXP performance or something, and someone had commented on it. Wow, look at Simon Green and his band of musically gifted Jason Stathams, because <laughs> four of us are like have shaved heads and kind of slightly unkempt facial hair yeah Alima was like is he still gonna look like Kelly Slater she's always thinks she looks like Kelly Slater (laughs) which I I, I sort of get I sort of get that one has been said before and yeah uh, you know bald guy who doesn't really shave very often yeah Um, doesn't have a proper job doesn't have a proper job exactly but at that point we thought, well, you know, maybe it's time one of us wore a hat so we are at least in some way indistinguishable or yeah. it's distinguishable from one another. Yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing it. Well, I'm looking forward to that pint, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it as well. Because, um, yeah, I, I think we deliver. Yeah. I think you lot deliver in your sleep these days, don't you? Because well, last time I saw you was at the Brighton Centre, which I think we worked out was four years ago, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah. That would have been 2018. Um, something I realized from doing gigs though is that within the band let's say the performance of the band varies from on a good night 100% to this from an audience perspective maybe 90% so the percentage difference from an audience perspective is quite small when you're in the band you're not looking at the 90% you're looking only at that 10% and we're like wow this was a good show or this was a really crap show Right. and I'm sometimes amazed when people you know, I think, wow, this show was a disaster. And people will come up to me afterwards and be like, wow, this was the best thing we've ever seen. Right. And I'm like, what, did we 
see the same show well i think that that's but, again got to be human nature hasn't it I mean, um oh my mic's been funny i noticed this one was being a bit weird the other day correctly. um am i you're you're all right yeah you're all right as i said you're somebody i don't need to explain how to hold an sm58 <laughs> um i mean i have on a, on a very <laughs> obviously much more small scale i have that with this you know i'll do uh, episodes okay. where i'm like didn't didn't work really didn't you know didn't go well and then people chat didn't flow or yeah don't know just 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 think i've had a couple where i've i've not put them out for months because i've i've just not enjoyed the experience right and it's almost become something i didn't want to deal with yeah Um, okay i've had that happen a couple of times but do you always end up putting them out i usually end up putting them out because i'm like fuck i haven't got an episode so i'll go and listen to that one and then and i always go oh that wasn't that bad and then i'll put it out and everyone's yeah. like that was great that episode and it's just to do with me being weird in my own head ah uh, yes okay well that's that's a definitely something that happens across the board then um yeah it's you your ability to judge your own work is is probably not that straightforward is it really um, yeah it's very difficult to not get caught up in the uh, like your own judgments about your own performance or your own attitude to your own well i mean also just even doing anything creative like it's difficult to to surpass that barrier just to to do it isn't it you know like well that's something i feel that you've always been very good at which I find quite inspiring is you're like right I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a go at this thing and yeah then, like you'll go and find out how to do it and you know like this podcast I guess was very much like that yeah yeah I guess so but then equally sometimes you know there's a the idea that you I put this on Instagram the other week as a quote <laughs> another pretentious quote alarm Alan de Botton if you're not embarrassed about who you were you're probably not progressing enough Right. So I thought it was like okay. a really, and that was a really when I put that on as a quote on Instagram, that had a very polarizing reaction because I just uh-huh. take that to be about creativity. Yeah. Because when I look back at, for example, our early efforts in Super U or like the early songs that I wrote, because I, you know, interestingly, I remember when we started writing music together, you were very much at the time like I can't do that, you know, and I was very much like yeah you can like we can right and we we yeah, en- we, yeah. en- we ended up almost working out a methodology of how to do it in a way that accommodated that but anyway my point is like when i when i go back and look, uh, you know i really cringe like at, at a lot of that stuff because because um because it was a lot of it was really shit <laughs> it's, well, but then that's just the deal in it that's what you've got to do you i know, wonder that- if bob dylan listens back to his early recordings and thinks oh god that shit or my my b strings really flat on this or well, you know, i mean different, different i I, re- I reread an old issue of white lines recently and i was like oh my god like i'm glad none of this is on that but y- you get my yeah. point like back to that quote like i just think that's a necessary part of it really you know yeah like of of, of yeah. like how you and i i think i think what was interesting about the reaction to that quote is quite a lot of people were like you should never be embarrassed about who you are and and I was like, I don't really take it that literally. I more no. take it as like a, as a, as a sort of a fact of the territory that comes with being creative, unless you're very, very fortunate enough to be good from an early age, or like you know, right, or you don't have any self awareness or 
or you're just yeah or you're not inclined to worry about it bulletproof confidence you don't really care you know yeah 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 um uh, that's interesting actually i remember there's an english guitar player i really like called uh james blackshaw and i remember i have a ton of his albums but i think on some social media platform he released an er early recording one of the first things that he had recorded and he said you know this is one of my early pieces very flawed in my opinion and i listened to it and i thought well it just sounds like another amazing james blackshaw tune right um but i guess for him for his perspective he was you know he sees all the flaws in it yeah and um yeah yeah things that he now would do differently and that's not apparent yeah i just think you making the point that everything eventually becomes routine and you know like it doesn't really matter it's no reflection on the enjoyment of it or yeah it's right and i just always thought that was really fascinating in the context of of this you know that that lifestyle really right because i guess from the outside perspective it looks you know uh, relentlessly glamorous and yeah well it just looks like a laugh i'm it, sure it I really mean, it definitely is a laugh it's sure, for sure. I'm sure it really is yeah yeah i'm very i'm very aware of how fortunate i am to be in the position that i get to do that you know even as like a session player there are a lot of session players out there not that i'm one of those but yeah who are playing music that they don't like and you know it's i feel very fortunate to be playing you know the music that i'm playing yeah i on the session thing though interestingly i do remember when you were living in california having that conversation with you where didn't you try and get work as a session player for a bit <laughs> well i had the idea that maybe that was something that i could do but that was before i was you know it, how do i put this uh, before i realized basically i didn't have the skills to do that because right. you know back in the day when we were living in brighton i was i thought to myself like oh you know i'm quite maybe i'm quite good at the guitar right then when i got exposed to actual professional musicians i realized yeah. that i'm you know really not at all or right. at least not off that standard and the competition in somewhere like even london the standard in musicianship there is ridiculously high yeah um so you know in terms of sheared chops and ability is that what it is like a, a technical proficiency then basically yeah their technical proficiency uh, you know there are a lot of players out there that are just fantastic the one thing i did realize is that um most of the time that's not what people are looking for so for example if i you know the bonobo guitar gig is not you know if i started like doing some shreddy solo like <laughs> i would have been you got all ingvy malmstein on it yeah i'd have been out a long time ago <laughs> yeah um, the, it, i mean the job is exactly not to play that stuff that's, yeah and i found that most of the time people want you to play less so uh, my approach has always been if in doubt don't play anything yeah mostly the, the, and that applies to when i've forgotten what the chords are and i think oh, oh there's another, i just don't play anything for a minute there's mostly. another quote about that isn't there is it, i'm sure it's like a miles davis quote oh is it duke ellington who said play what you can play yeah or there's another one which is about like you know just basically like what you don't play is as important as what you do play kind of thing right right well that, that's something i've definitely learned from um being friends with various wind players who right because if you you know if you learn a wind instrument obviously part of that is you have to breathe so there are from a very early point in your development as a musician you're aware that there are times that you 
you're not going to be playing anything. You just won't be able to physically. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I guess most wind players learn a better sense of timing and when, you know, when to time it that they're not playing. Whereas guitar players don't have that problem and it is a problem. Yeah. And also, I guess it's another example of creative confidence, isn't it? Like restraint, you know, knowing yeah. when, knowing when you, well, again, you know, knowing when not to say something. Basically, no. When your Still opinion, working on that. no, no. When your opinion isn't required, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a skill for sure. Yeah, um, but I, f- I find as well with a lot of musicians, like players that I really admire. Um, let me think of some examples, like Blake Mills, who's a guitar player. I think is one of the possibly most technically gifted players around, who now chooses to not really i don't know if you listen to him at all but don't know it's very restrained i right. love the stuff that he plays um and you know there are other examples of that as well like bill frizzell yeah and that, like a jazz player that i really like um it's very yeah it's all about what you choose not to play yeah as much as what you're gonna play um, yeah yeah um i don't know where i'm going with that actually again it's just an interesting topic on the you know it's a theme isn't it a theme that's developing over the course of the conversation right essentially so so, as as is often the case in these things yeah right so i've harnessed my relative lack of ability to play things that are difficult and passed it off as a a artistic choice to just remain see that's, (laughs) that's that's where chris moran's quote kicks in the uh excessive self-deprecation is, is irritating as vanity because that I, I don't i don't believe that but anyway anyway the, so the other thing i was really interested in asking you about was um you know you've since you went on this path and left brighton which is again yeah. 15 years ago you know you've, right. you've lived in california you've lived in you bought places in portugal and you finally just mm, yeah bought this place in puglia in the which is the heel of the boot in Italy, we both I've yes. spent some time there. Absolutely incredible part of the world. But, it's lovely, isn't it? But that's obviously been a fairly itinerant schedule that you've had, and there's been quite a lot yeah. of times over those years when I've chatted to mutual friends and and people would be like, "Has anyone heard from you in for like three years?" You know, like, <laughs> "Do anyone know where Ewan lives at the minute?" And someone will be like, "I think he's in like." He might be. Is he, is he in LA? Is he in? Is he in like? Is he in Lisbon? Oh right. no, he's actually moved to Italy. You know. Ah like. uh, yes. And Gosh. so what? What's been driving that? Has it been? Because you always, again, looking back, it always felt like you were pretty keen to simplify your life and also live somewhere warmer. Let's be honest. You know. Yeah. Well, the 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 cold and the dark of the British winters is definitely not good for my mental health. That's another thing I realised from snowboarding is when i stopped doing it um i just didn't feel good all winter yeah because i guess you you're exposed to a lot of reflected sunlight when you're out snowboarding aren't you and you tend not to get that sad depression or whatever they call it sad yeah is it seasonal affective disorder yeah exactly yeah um got you that lamp that time didn't i yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i remember the lamp very well um I i feel that that worked but anyway moving to california was definitely uh, more effective um, and it just went away that, like that winter depression I found that I just didn't feel it at all and then I got quite uh, accustomed to feeling good all the time so when Aaron and I um, 
wanted to move back to Europe to be closer to my family, we thought, well, we're, you know, where can we go that the weather is nice and maybe like LA and Portugal is, or, you know, the southern part of Europe was the obvious choice. Yeah. Turns out actually Puli is quite cold in the winter and oh, really? grey and rainy and it, it snows. <laughs> really? And, uh, I guess yeah, it's quite it mountainous, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it can get quite fierce down there. But um, Why did you settle on Puglia then? Well, we'd been living in Portugal and we wanted a change. And I could tell the long rambling version of this or just a summary. Go, well, I mean, I'd, I'd always back long rambling <laughs> version. <laughs> okay, so Erin likes to shop for vintage clothing. Right. And um, she was following someone online who I, I think she bought some vintage clothing pieces from this American girl online and um, she had just announced on her Instagram that she'd moved the shop to southern Italy and she had an upstairs at her place and she's like oh my husband and I are now gonna open this up to you know hosting people so you know basically run it as a and b right and we're gonna we're gonna start doing it from next month and um, it just so happened we were gonna be in Italy the next month and Erin was like I have a feeling these people are cool. Let's should we go and stay at their place? Right. So we did, and we became friends with them. We also became friends with their eighty-two-year-old Italian neighbours, who I guess at the time were seventy-eight, but are now in their early eighties. Right. And we just loved the area, and um, we thought, oh, we've met people here we like, and um, basically that became a. A place where I thought oh, I'd I'd like to live here someday. I think right. this could be the ideal place where the food supply is. Well, being Italy, you know, food is uh, incredible down there. Yeah, and the, it, even if you go to the supermarket down there, the the I think it's mostly locally sourced. Right. But most people will shop at the the local markets, of which there are several a week, and yeah, you'll go and buy tomatoes from the guy who I didn't call it tomatoes. <laughs> I'm pleasing myself by that. Uh, from the guy that's grown them, you know, two, three kilometers away. And right. when they're in season, you know, you'll get a sack of them for like a kilo for one euro. And it's amazing, like the the quality of the produce down there. And that's something we we're both quite concerned about. Just, we wanted to be because after years living in L.A., it's very expensive. And the quality of food, unless you go to like Whole Foods. Or yeah, it's wherever. expensive to eat well, isn't it, really? Yeah, if you want to actually buy vegetables that are nice and cook them yourselves it costs you a lot of money yeah um so that was part of it and also italy's just kind of mad and quite fun and we yeah. love the language so we thought this is a good spot to relocate to so finally mid-pandemic we managed to sell our flat in lisbon that we owned for a few years and then moved to italy and we bought this shambling old house that is currently being renovated uh, which is in itself a misadventure because my italian is perfunctory at best um so i'm having these conversations with contractors who don't speak english of of course why why should they yeah um they're very patient with me but it involves a lot of google translate and um a lot of misunderstanding and then having to like send a voice message to my friend's dad who speaks Italian to get him to translate it and then send right. it back and yeah but I am learning much more quickly from being forced into that position so I loved it down there that's Puglia is where I oh, it's brilliant 
why is the place is it, they're called the truly houses aren't they a truler is the house it truly is the plural yeah. um uh yeah there's they're like little hobbit houses yeah like round things with conical roofs so we went so there's a famous village where Alberobello, maybe. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and basically we went into this bar, and the guy was, you know, he just he was like a couple of English tourists. Obviously, couldn't speak any English, but he was like um, Inter Milan fan. So, it, ah. which obviously won't mean anything to you, but yeah, it was 2010. They just won the Italian treble, and as someone who's fairly obsessed with football I kind of so I, basically I ended up getting absolutely annihilated with this guy uh, by basically going like um, you know Diego up. Melito um, and then he was like he put in me Manchester United ah and Bobby then, Charlton and then the grapper comes out and, yeah yeah and Alima was oh, like brilliant Alima was like is this is this a joke like you literally right. You're getting drunk with a, an old man in an Italian bar, exchanging by, names by of just footballers. names of footballers each. <laughs> Those are the best kinds. I was like, oh, well, that's the universal language of football for you. Right yeah, there. it's pretty impressive, isn't it? But I loved it, I'm, and I'm definitely going to come and visit. Well, we're working on making the place ready, so yeah, six months maybe. Yeah, I mean, it looks big. Like it looks like you've got like a full-on olive grove or something. We do. Uh, although I was chatting to our neighbours and um, they said, "How many trees have you got?" And I said, uh, oh, "I think like twenty-six." And they were like, "Oh, so few." Right. So, I think maybe by local standards, our place is, you know, um, modest. But yeah. for me, it's great. I've been living in cities for most of my adult life, and yeah, you know, I have a acre of land with olive and fruit trees on that i can wander about but which is also my responsibility to keep uh in good shape so it, it's quite a lot of work i think but i you know i've always liked that kind of thing yeah trees and yeah yeah so right up your boulevard right up my boulevard and you know we make our own limoncello and like that's the, what everyone does then the neighbors showed me how to do that a couple of years ago um actually that was one of the things that really attracted me to Italy is the the Italian couple I mentioned who are in their 80s now. I could not, at that point, I couldn't speak a word of Italian. They couldn't speak a word of English. And they would relentlessly invite me around for dinner and right. lunch. And we would have these exchanges, you know, lots of gesticulation. And I basically kind of learned how to understand the language a bit by eating lunch with these incredibly generous people. Right. Um, I guess they were just concerned because they thought, ah, he's not Italian, he's probably going to starve. Well, they probably were a bit like, who the fuck are these two? Yeah, but they were like, <laughs> let's invite them around for dinner. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, so so it's great. We're, we've got these um, very welcoming people in the area that are not at all phased by our current inability to speak their language fluently. They're just like, yeah know, they're like piano piano you know right. you'll get there basically. yeah yeah practice practice so, so do you think that's, that's you great. two set i think so probably um it's the first place we've lived that we feel like it's probably permanent right everything else like lisbon itself is quite a transitory city i think there are a lot there's a lot of coming and going from there so you meet people and they'll be there for a year maybe two years it's a little bit like doing a snowboard season or right. ski season in that regard. Right. You think, you know, you'll know this person for a couple of years and then they'll move back to wherever else. And unless, of course, you become really involved with Portuguese culture, which we, for, for whatever reason, 
didn't get around to doing. The language is quite tough. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to go somewhere that was less transitory and, you know, we had, we could go to the sea, like we can, we can drive to the seaside in 15 minutes and, you know, um, there are a couple of airports nearby, so it's easy enough to get in and out of for, for work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like the La Dolce Vita, we basically, that's yeah, what we're no, looking it looks, for. It looks amazing. And um, you, and you playing in Karmic as well as well is that still yeah. going on yeah that's very much going on actually we're and about you... to release our debut album i think amazing in coming weeks and you're i'm guessing everyone's based all over the place yeah so the half of that band are from i mean they're from austria germany canada the usa and scotland i think that's the five members currently so yeah but we all know each other from los angeles uh, but half the band have moved back to vienna so right they have there's like a studio in Vienna uh where a lot of the production stuff happens and then there's one in LA right. the drummer who is German American travels back and forth between the two studios and it's pretty um uh hello Peggy hi Peggy you coming up crackly it's a bit annoying hey Peg um you might you might need to wait Peggy Hey, Hello, mate. You coming up? No, the tail. The tail go. I better move this tea. You coming up? Come on, in, Peg. Come on. You coming up? You coming oh. up? Come on up. Up, up. Come on. Up. Come on. Up, see. Come on. Good boy. Sit down. Um. Hello. <laughs> do, do you tend to edit these bits out, or sometimes leave them in? I think I'll edit this bit. Out. You can le- You can feel free to edit out my ramblings. No, I'm gonna leave. Well. I'm gonna leave all that in. Um. Ah, there we go. <laughs> you helping? Mm. Peggy, sit down. Peg. Sit. Good boy. So yeah, Karmic. That's a that's that's a, a very very fun project to be involved in. I basically I toured with them. I kind of joined as a touring guitar player. Right. In twenty. Actually, it would have been just after I came to see you last. I was on my way to LA then. Right. And um, I think or perhaps I'd been touring with them that year in Austria and Switzerland where they have a bit of a following. Um, we, I should say, have a bit of a following. And then I went back to LA and we started working on the album and then the pandemic hit. And basically I was living on their couch in, in the front room right. of their house in South Pasadena. Ah, right. That's, that's what was going on. That's why I was there. Yeah, no. Yeah. Ah, right, that makes sense. A few of us got kind of stranded there. There yeah. was me and it's... our friend Jim, who is a, also a fantastic musician, um, Critical Jim. He has some, I don't know if that's something you'd like to include in the links. His album's excellent. Yeah, cool. Um, so he was out sleeping in the back garden. He had a tent, I think, or maybe he was sleeping in the studio and I was on the couch and we were there for months. Just, right. Um, Sounds kind of cool. It was great, yeah. You know, um, if you're going to get stranded anywhere. Yeah, get stranded with a bunch of, I mean, like, fantastic musicians that you, with a studio in yeah, the garden. Yeah, I mean, perfect. Yeah, it was pretty cool, so. Yeah. Anyway, well, that, that album's coming out soon. Um, and you got a tour coming up, I think I saw, with them as well. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be on most of it because I'm... Because it's been over. Because of, yeah. <laughs> Peg's just staring at me. Peggy wants us it's to take Peg. him out. Uh, 
uh, I am going to make some of those dates, but they're going to do some of it without guitar. But I, they like the semi-chaos of not quite knowing what's going on. Right. Like Peter, who's the bass player and I guess unofficial band leader, loves it if we're very under-rehearsed and wow. he do, we don't quite know what's going to happen because right. he likes to capture that. You know the point where a band starts playing together and you don't quite know what's going on, yeah. but then you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. He likes to try and capture that moment. Okay, that's interesting. So... He hates it if we, you know, in soundcheck, we'll, you know, for whatever reason, we need to play one song two or three times. Right. He's over it he's, because he feels that ruins the spontaneity of okay. what might happen, which which for me is quite unnerving. Yeah, it's a bit it's, of a, you know, it's just creative statement, isn't it, really? Yeah, but that bunch of musicians are off a standard where they can do that. Yeah, I was going to say, it would help if everybody was incredibly proficient. Yeah, so I... I felt a little out of my depth with that, but I still kind of do. But uh, you know, I'm I'm more used to that being the approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're actually the drummer in that band. David is likes to be very. He's quite regimented and dare I say Germanic in his approach to things. He's very well, <laughs> <laughs> very well drilled. He's very well organised. Yeah, and um, has an incredible uh, memory for you know the slightly out of time note i might have played in bar 37 of right. whatever song he's one of them <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's pretty impressive yeah so it's there's a lot of push and pull within how that band is organized but yeah it's, it's brilliant it's really really fun to play with and yeah we're pretty pretty stoked with the the, the music so and I, when i've looked at some of the stuff online and the gigs the gigs always look like they're pretty rapturously received as well yeah well the the um kyle and laura the our front women are very engaging so right they can they can really, pull it off yeah even if it's like one of those rooms where you're like oh wow we're playing in a cafe somewhere in germany you're to in, a bunch you're of in that restaurant in exeter basically <laughs> yeah they, they can turn that into yeah, uh they can do it. something that people will enjoy yeah it's pretty impressive to watch that as well so yeah i feel like in safe hands in that regard too when was the last time you went snowboarding I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it was a a board test maybe in two thousand and sixteen. Is that with Jeremy and Shannon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember that because um, I remember Shannon. I was like, "Oh, you went round him a year," and he's like, "Yeah, he's still really good." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty funny because I hadn't been riding at that point in about four years, and I remember feeling very shaky. And Stenty was there. I hadn't seen Stenty for years, and. Um, it was great. I can't remember who. There was a bunch of like old friends there that yeah. I got to ride with a bit, um, who were kind of fit for riding. So I was kind of like try to keep up. And I was like that this in Jackson Hole this year. I hadn't really been riding for like two years, to be honest. Um, How were the legs? Legs were kind of fine, but I just wasn't match fit really. Mm. So I kind of came away from that thinking got to do a bit more snowboarding yeah i mean it's it's definitely been tricky i had the idea that when i moved to la i'd be able to you know i'd go surfing all the time and then i would drive up to mount baker or where, not mount baker sorry big bear I, big bear yeah and uh and go snowboarding but i actually never got around to doing it once i did surf quite a lot because i lived three minutes walk from the venice break water so yeah um how's you surfing i mean i've realized that i'm not a surfer i'm someone that goes surfing um 
yeah i've resigned myself to being the sort of guy that likes a like a wave storm an eight foot for me that's my comfort zone these days and yeah. if the waves are too big for me to ride an eight foot for me i probably don't want to be out there anyway so yeah no not wrong with that um i've given up on any pretensions of being able to ever ride a short border so i'm quite yeah, happy that's with... that's a liberating thing though isn't it yeah i sold all my short boards oh you did yeah because yeah, yeah. i've kept a fish but i had a thruster and i was like you just have I'm to i'm never s- gonna surf that like what what i'm like, you know i don't even want to yeah. surf it either so. yeah because if you need to use a board like that then it's probably but i mean it's at the time they're quite steep and yeah. frightening well and also i just don't surf enough like i surf around here on shitty little waves which is fine you know that's why i've got you know i've got loads of big old boards yeah essentially i've got a croyd this weekend for our friend hamish duncan's 40th ah, which i'll sadly miss and um, uh there's you know two foot i was like yeah that looks good perfect i'll do me yeah that's that's definitely my level of surfing these days and i'm very happy to just stick there do you miss snowboarding because obviously you really I do, actually, dedicated yeah. your life to it for 10 years and you got fucking good at it. Thank you. Um, un- improbably, um, given how terrible I was at sports for my entire childhood. But, you know, I grew up somewhere where yeah, it but was you, either you, football or rugby. You're talking I about organised sports, aren't you? I mean, I th- when, yeah. I, when I look at you, I look at um, somebody for whom, like, snow, you know, action sports, want of a better term, like the perfect thing, aren't they? Because... Because right. it's not like you weren't athletic. It's not like you weren't physically gifted in a way that meant you, you know, you fit. You, you you've kind of got that great understanding of, you know, you can think. You're 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 like a problem solver with it. You know, quite like Spencer or James, somebody who's able to like analyze it and then can and then turn it into physical outcomes. You know, like right. That that's kind of okay. one of the definitions I have of like a, somebody who's like you know an athlete athleticism. You know, Stanley's totally like that. You know, Stanley like very looks, much like that. Look, I mean Spencer, like so our friend Spencer, yeah. he's been he's skating at the minute. He's only been skating for like about two really? years. He's fucking so good at his age. Yeah, I couldn't believe good it. God. Like we went to the park the other night, and I was fucking useless. Like I've not been skating for ages. Like ate shit. Like really hurt myself and was came away like fuck. I'm, okay definitely need to start again slowly and he was charging around wow really with style as well and great strong head and always. it's it's that thing you know for him it's like a problem solving exercise it's yeah. like he and he's got that he just works it out and then it's for him that's and i always thought you know you were like oh i'm not i'm i wasn't athletic as a kid but that's just because you didn't have the right outlet wasn't it and snowboarding became yeah, that for so. you, didn't it? I guess if I'd grown... I mean, I knew what surfing was when I was a kid because I'd seen Point Break, but I had no way of finding out like how you could do it. Or, yeah. I remember like looking up in the encyclopedia and, th- you know, there was... I don't even know if there was an entry for surfing in the one that we had. And um, Yeah, it wasn't until like much later that I was able to find, like, oh, here's a place where I can get a surfboard and then I can go and try it at this beach that's, you know, an hour drive from... Yeah. An hour's well, drive from my house or yeah there's well i was up your way a couple of weeks ago and there's a beach just on the north sea coast isn't there like they can surf like just i think leslie and you and have got a place there in fact i can't remember it's called now uh, but yeah there are a ton of actually now i know there are a ton of breaks like around where i grew up that mm. i could have had i known i could have been surfing and yeah but then who knows i might not have ended up feeling compelled to go snowboarding and then 
life would have worked out probably quite differently. Did you learn to ski at Cangom then? I did go skiing, yeah. My dad's friend took me skiing when I was about 10 or 11, I think. And right. I, I had tried it once, and then I went on a school ski trip when I was about 15. Right. Um, so really, I learned to ski in somewhere in Italy. I think it was right. Clavier, near Sestriere. Okay. Um, but I had never tried snowboarding until I went to wherever it was, Maribel, and then just decided, ah, I'm going to move here. And So that was, you just went on holiday to Maribel? Yeah, that's right. I went on holiday to visit a friend from school who was working there as a chalet girl, and I met um, our mutual friend, Will Becker, and, right. and um, was very inspired by their lifestyle. I was at university at the time studying physics and not really enjoying it that much. Right. Um, I just didn't like the culture of more I mean you know, I find the subject interesting but I just felt like there was something a bit more exciting going on and I was missing out right and then when I met those guys I was like ah this is right this is what I've been missing out on so yeah so, so I packed it in university and then moved out to Maribel the next year and like found, tracked those guys down and basically said oh could I come and live with you and right. they said yeah sure it's that kind and, of place at that time wasn't it yeah so and, you'd probably done what three seasons when we met I think, yeah, that would have been my third. Yeah, 97, 98, wasn't it, when we yes, met? Yes, that seems about right. Yeah, yeah, you know me, I've always got the dates. Yeah. Always remember the dates. Impressive memory for dates and times, including Bastille Day. Bastille Day, still send you the text every year. <laughs> and I still forget. <laughs> One of these years. Yeah, it's coming up. I'll get up. in there first. It's coming up soon, July the 14th. I, I do have a terrible memory for it historical dates but a weird memory for the names of uh, literary characters and uh people's phone numbers that i knew when i was 12 well you and jono did that fucking dickish <laughs> capital city thing didn't you <laughs> we decide. you decide to teach yourself every capital city in the world one season or something yeah in my defense i did that as a tactic to distract him from um he was having a particularly difficult breakup with a girlfriend and a, I thought oh, I'll engage this like yeah. nerd like side of Jono to distract him. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was yeah we learned one of my cities. fondest memories of Jono actually was because he was all like, right, Matt Barr, I'm finally going to be better at something trivia based than you. Like I've <laughs> I've learned all the capitals. So let's have a competition. And I still beat him. But yeah, I remember that he was. So and he was like, how the off. fuck? Like I've been. He was begrudgingly it's, impressed. It was like, I've been, I've been training, and you still just walk in and like, wow. Always had, always had a memory for that useless. Go, yeah, go trivia. to trivial pursuit teammate. Yeah, absolutely. Although yeah. Murray, Murray's a dark horse, isn't he? As yeah. well on the, on the triv. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, so you do miss snowboarding? Do you think you'll I try do, and yeah. find a bit more time for it? Yeah, I mean, one. I've got one for you actually. Oh, what's that sorry um i'm my 50th i'm gonna try and get a bald face lodge oh really yeah so that's in wow, that's, four years that's that's plenty of notice yeah so um, well i that, very much hope to make that one put that in your diary okay cool um i will um yeah so i i had the idea that living in italy i'd be like oh, i can easily you know drive to the mountains or actually it turns out it's probably about 18 hours to drive to the mountains from where I live but up to what's the nearest is that the Dolomites I guess the Dolomites is, is probably slightly nearer but you know we we would end up like flying to Torino or yeah Milan or wherever and I I don't know how I'd, I'd work it but I definitely want to 
you know maybe get a season pass somewhere and then just try and get up a couple of times yeah or you know do what you do and go on trips and I and mean catch up with people when I was in Aviemore the other week for one insane minute I was a bit like oh, I could could definitely like move up here for a bit and do a couple of do a couple of months I just right. really enjoyed that trip even though it was awful snow it's kind of conditions made it, are tough yeah but I kind of kind of makes it more enjoyable in a weird way right have you tangled with splitboarding much yeah well I was, was splitboarding on that last trip yeah it's great I love it yeah um, that's something that really interests me because just as I stopped snowboarding, that was really yeah. Big. You'd have you'd have loved it because I remember because you climbed and rode down Mont Blanc, didn't you? Yeah. But you didn't do it on split boards, did you? No, I did it with snowshoes, and uh, I did it with um, our friend James Moreland, who was on skis, and so patiently waited for me to. Yeah, you know, he would because you'd split that now, wouldn't you? That route, I think, yeah, most definitely. of it, and it would be much. But most, be much but at the time, no one was really not certainly not it wasn't really a thing was it it was probably about 10 years ago that wasn't it probably more. Bit more yeah there was one i think there was a burton split board yeah one burton split board that you can get and a one person i knew in chamonix had one but it, you know it seemed like maybe it was a gimmick at the time or it was just yeah i remember we like it's not time to get into this yet i remember doing a trip to aspen where we went similar thing it was like a press trip and everyone was we it was a ski tour in day or two where we went out to a refuge and stayed and i was you know snowboarders were on snowshoes again right all the skiers were touring everyone was waiting for us and there's one guy had a split board and i was the same i was a bit like oh look at this you know he's got that looks like that looks like a faff you know yeah right now yeah no i i mean i saw james last week stentiford and i said to him like that iceland trip that he does Mm-hmm. Um, he's just been in Iceland with um, Neil McNair. If you saw those pictures, where they yeah. were sit- I mean, it just looks so fun. Yeah. Sorry, no, they're in Norway. They're in Lofoten, um, but they also do. Ah, they right, also right. do the Iceland trip as well, where it's sort of similar thing, like surf and snow. And I said to James, like I say, I do say it to him every year. Actually, I'm like, I'm going to come and do one of your trips next year. And this year, I was like, fuck, I really want to go and do that. But I'm going to try and do more riding next year. Definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something I miss. Um, but there always seems to be something else going on that um, that I could be doing, or I get, yeah, I don't know. Life happens, I guess. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Also, when you're renovating houses or attempting to coerce other people into renovating them for you, yeah, uh, and touring, and, and yeah, and being married, and being married. Know. And Erin is not particularly into mountain sports, so when we travel together, we're more inclined to go to, you know beach stroke eating holidays yeah culinary rovings not wrong with that yeah so yeah 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 brilliant right we're back so what are you gonna play well this is something vaguely i think i might have actually recorded this for a library album at some stage and um i kind of made it up as i was going along but i remember roughly what it was so hopefully someone doesn't own the publishing rights to it and you're not going to get in trouble for playing it on your on the podcast but well we'll see i doubt i doubt i doubt that i doubt that um all right i'm going to turn this no i'm just going to leave this mic on as well so and point it at the guitar all right here you go
So there you go. That was me and Ewan, and I hope you enjoyed it. Is there anything more pleasurable than catching up with an old friend after many years and immediately slipping back into the same groove? I'm not sure there is, to be honest. I think as life goes on, I do appreciate that simple pleasure. I'm fortunate enough to have quite a few friends that it doesn't matter how long since I've seen them. You know, you just see them and you just straight back into it. Tim and Gendel um, nod to this in something that they refer to as the best mate silence. And, you know, I always love that because it does speak to that familiarity. You know, when you, you're that comfortable with a friend, you have that such a degree of familiarity and such a degree of, you know, ease in each other's company that you don't even have to say anything. I mean, my best mate, I can see him. Hello, Drew, if you're listening. Um, and I might not have seen him for months. And we'll pick up a conversation that we had last time we saw each other as if we was it was the day before. It's just a great thing, isn't it, about friendships, um, which I think is one of the, the ongoing themes of this podcast, really. So, yeah, I greatly enjoyed that chat. And I enjoyed the Bonobo gig later that night. Big thanks to Ewan for the, taking the time to do this and for such an enjoyable conversation. Bonobo are on tour for the next year or so, so if they head to a town near you, then make sure you check them out, and if you see Ewan, say hello from me. Um, All right, housekeeping corner time. Yeah, I mean, big response to the Sean Thompson episode, as I thought that there might be. That was one of those episodes that definitely transcends the normal listening circle. Um, You know, he's a big name, so you get people that don't tend to listen to it that that often um tuning in and then you get people have never listened to it tuning in and yeah i kind of thought that would be the case so that was nice um you know always nice to get new listeners hello if that's you probably like sean thompson followed by you and wallace what's the fox this guy on that's the way it goes around here stick with it um you probably find themes that are worth sticking with if you do so what else is going on? Well, I've got some more news on the forthcoming Looking Sideways live event I've been chatting about, and which is now confirmed for June the 17th and the 18th in Hossegor. Also confirmed, I'll be chatting to Chris Burkhard and Kepa Acero live on stage on the topic of travel and creativity. Particularly stoked about the Kepa one because I did record an episode with Kepa last year and it just got fucked up by the internet. So I couldn't put it out, which was a shame because it was a great episode. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. I'm going to be heading over with Owen Tozer. Sounds like there's going to be some really interesting people around. I hear Sage Kotzenberg might be in town, Craig Anderson. So hopefully we'll get a really decent Hossegor omnibus about it as well. I think we're chatting. I mean, I'm, this I should say this event is being sponsored by DB, my friends at DB, who I'm going to be doing some work with in the future. And uh, we're talking about lots of other stuff that might be um, happening around the event, which is great. I mean, it's been interesting playing the live stuff. As I posted on Instagram the other day where you can find me at We Look Sideways. I've been chatting about this Looking Sideways live idea with the curator and all that stuff and the little festival for a couple of years now. Well, probably longer, probably about three years. Um, I kind of knew I was probably harping on about it when... Tim and Gendel, when we were five pints in the Christmas special, were like, so what have you got coming up this year? And I was like, well, I've got this idea for this uh, live event. And they were like, yeah, you, you say this every year, mate. Um, so I have been, the the phrase is up as I harping on about this. Um, and the original idea that I did get quite far with insofar as 
the wave agreed it would be a good idea was that I was going to basically take over the whole wave in Bristol for for three days. And the idea was that we'd all stay on site. I think they can get around 180 people in those tents. And um, you'd buy a ticket and you'd get to stay and you'd get to go surfing. And you'd also get to attend all the very interesting stuff that I was going to organise with the curator that I was going to work with. So, you know, live shows, live conversations, galleries, film premieres, and also just a chance to meet a lot of interesting people who are into the same shit that you're into I was positioning it a little bit like the old do lectures thing not that I'm the biggest fan of the very worthy way that the do lectures approach that but they do have a good event I'll give them that and yeah you know like I, I that was what I was looking at so that was so I had a meeting with the wave about a year ago actually it was May 2021 and they were super keen hello Nick if you're listening um and so it was kind of agreed that we'd look at it in for October 2022 and I guess what sort of made me hold my horses a little bit was actually Looking Sideways Volume 1 really if I'm being honest because Looking Sideways Volume 1 I mean you know we did the first print run which is brilliant and we're halfway through the second print run um but I'm going to be honest it it was a bit harder to sort of shift than I thought it would be, really. Now, I've actually been writing a bit of a blog about this, um, which I'm in two minds about whether I'm going to put out, because it is, even for me, quite brutally honest. Um, and I reread it the other day, and I was a bit like, am I actually just like insulting half the audience here? Is that wise? Um, so I'm reflecting on whether to put that out. If I do, it'll go out on the old Substack blog. But the fact of the matter is, I did learn a lot from putting the book out. And I definitely think me and Owen made quite a few mistakes, really, when we put the book together, um, which is what the blog's about. And, you know, that kind of happens when you just sort of please yourselves. I've written numerous things about putting the book together over the years. And one of the things that I did talk about was about how, like, you know, we didn't have a publisher and we did that on purpose because we wanted to please ourselves. And, you know, the thing about having a publisher is as much as they can be an absolute pain in the arse and as much as they take all the money, they do really know what they're on about when it comes to the commercialness of books. If is that word commercialness, I'm going to own it. Um, you know, stuff like what the cover should look like, what the format should be. I, I did send the book to a literary agent I'd had a few meetings with and she was scathing about it from a commercial point of view she was like I don't like the format I don't like the cover and she kind of like gave me this big list of stuff and I was like okay yeah whatever you know like I recognize when I'm getting good advice when I hear it but as the months have gone on I, I do think we perhaps took self-indulgence to a bit of a ridiculous level with it really um, and I do think we probably got the pricing wrong I think because you know another thing we wanted to do was make sure everyone got paid Another thing I talk about in this blog that I've been preparing is like how no fucker wants to pay for anything anymore, whether that's like localized content, you know, whether their mates doing a project. I mean, the amount of people, friends of mine asked me for a free book and didn't actually buy one, you know, and I was a bit like, just fucking buy one, you tight bastards. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, but you know, it was, it, it was like, yeah, okay. I probably I probably 
over you know I probably didn't really think about that I just thought oh I've done this great thing you know I've got this audience I've got a load of friends like they're gonna buy it well that kind of happened but it didn't really happen to the way that I thought it would happen um and so you know these are all lessons that you learn and that's fine um so bringing it back to looking sideways live I did basically think like hmm if I go all in on this event and I've got to shift 200 tickets, it may be, I don't know, a few hundred quid a go. I'm a little bit less confident that I'm going to be able to do that now, <laughs> really, given this experience. I think before the book came out, I would have been like, fucking easy. Because there's a lot of people listen. I mean, this is the conundrum about this stuff. And this is like the ongoing thing about the podcast. And this is why I always fucking go on about the ads and all that stuff. There's a lot of people listening to this thing. And I don't. I'm not saying that is like a fucking bully me but they just are you know there's like tens of thousands of people listen to it every month and that's great thank you if you're listening so you know when it came to like and the amount of messages that I get from people that are like this I, I love it you know it's brilliant it's changed you know I'm not exaggerating I get messages from people saying like it's changed my life like you know the it gives me it gives me so much to think about. It's so obviously I kind of looked at that and thought, ah, yeah, you know, I'm definitely going to be able to shift a few books. People are definitely going to be able to get where I'm coming from than this. Like, why I'm not doing ads? Like, why I'd rather do something like this? And it, let's just say, a lot of people that I thought would support the 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 podcast in that way didn't do it. Um, and I, like I say, I think there are probably like various reasons for that, which you find, which I explore in this blog. But again, when it came to the live event. I was a bit like, hmm, okay, do I really want to commit to that? Do I really want to expose myself to that much risk? Because it, it won't be fucking cheap hiring the wave for three days um, and try to do this to the standard that I want to do it. Because this is the other point I was going to make. On the price on the book, I forgot I got a bit sidetracked. Sorry about that. It's housekeeping corner. What are you going to do? Um, you know, one of the reasons we priced it where we did is because we wanted to make sure everyone got paid. There's a lot of like I said, people don't don't want to pay for things on the kind of like localized level, but also people in our industry who really should fucking know better don't want to pay for things when they do stuff like running events. I mean, the amount of times I get asked to do speaking things, and I'm like, "Cool, what's your budget?" And like, "Well, we don't, we you know, they give it the old like, sorry, I haven't got any money, but it'll be great exposure line, you know." And I'm a bit like, "I'm fucking forty five years old. I've been doing this like." 25 years i'm not fucking speaking at your event for free if you can put an event on you should be able to afford to pay people <laughs> especially if you're going to try and use them to make your event better by piggybacking onto their audience for me that's not a complicated thing but it is truly incredible how many people try and do stuff like this and they don't want to pay people properly like i run a marketing agency and the amount of queries I get to the agency from because I'm kind of in charge of all that and people are like ah oh, we love what you do we've got this brand you know we want you we want to do what you've done for brand xyz and I'll go oh this sounds good and I'm like how much money have you got and they're basically like well I've got tuppence halfpenny you know and I'm a bit like stuff has value like you gotta so that was where I was coming from with the book we almost priced it where we did as a bit of a like flag in the ground. But like I say, I was obviously like massively overestimating how much people actually care about that. End of the day, people like getting shit for free, like podcasts, like music. They don't really like paying for it. And you've got to give them a really fucking good reason to pay for it. 
and I guess what I'm saying is, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think me and you, um, Ewan, he was going on the podcast, I don't think me and Owen um, really did give enough of the kind of floating voters out there enough reason to buy the book. So that definitely had, um, was just part of my thought process when it came to looking sideways live. So what I basically decided to do, and fuck me, even for me, this is a long-winded way of getting to the point. I just thought, well, I'll try and, I'll try and do it a bit differently. So that's what this is all about, really. Like, this is quite risk-free, the Hossagor thing for me, um, because we're just going to do an event and it's going to be a great collaboration with uh, DB and Wasted Talent. And, you know, we'll put stuff out on the podcast. I'll record the live thing. I'll put it out. We'll do an omnibus, like I'm saying. We'll do loads of stuff as we usually do, me and Owen, when we go out there. Um, but, you know, I'm not in the hole for like fucking 40 grand if I don't sell tickets or whatever it'd be. So that was obviously quite low risk. And then um, I've been chatting to my friends at Natural Selection about potentially doing one in Jackson Hole next year. Again, on the Looking Sideways Live thing where there's a bit of a creator. I mean, this is just like a conversation. I'm sure Liam won't mind me bringing it up on here um, because this is obviously a bit of an area where I just talk about stuff like this. Um, you know, we've been talking about that a little bit. I was over in Jackson, as as you might be aware, because I've harped on about it enough. Um, and I did think like, yeah, Looking Sideways Live could work really well for, as, for the evening part of this, you know. All the venues that we could take over in Jackson, get the curator over. There's a massive crowd of people there. There's some of the, you know, big names in snowboarding there. Been chatting to Scofe about being the curator for that. We're pretty pretty keen to work together on that me and Scofe you know we're such good old friends we always really like working together um so I thought well you know I've got Hossegore if Jackson came off and there's no there's no like guarantee that it will come off and in all likelihood is often the way with these things it might not come off um but you know if we get those two under the belt as a sort of proof of concept thing and then revisit the wave idea in October 23 that feels a little bit more um, like something I can be doing with really rather than go all in and realise that I've got 50,000 people asking me for free tickets rather than putting the hand in the pocket. So that's what I'm going to do. And that's why the first one is going to be in Hossegore on June 17th and the 18th. So yeah, I'll be um, talking more about that over the coming months. Um, we're currently putting all the posters and all that shit together and That'll be on Instagram. We'll be going out on the newsletter. And it's going to be great. And I'm really looking forward to it. Wow, that went on a bit. That was one of those ones where I didn't write it. I normally write them. I normally write all this stuff um, and have a bit of a script. But I didn't. I just went extempore and just uh, jazzed it. And that's what happens. You get a 15-minute housekeeping corner. So there you go. Um, all right, nice one. I'll be back next week with my pal Mikey Corker which is another good one. So I'll see you then. Nice one.